Coming to you live from the basement of an abandoned house in the middle of a field, it's the Derek Izzy Show. Making history his story, Derek Izzy. You're listening to The Derek Izzy Show. Welcome back for another month of this great podcast. And I've got some exciting news for you. We have launched, finally after eight years or so of podcasting, we have decided to launch a swag store. Check it out. You can get all of your Derek Izzy Show merchandise available online. Use any of the links on the website, DerekIzzy.com. You can use the link in the show notes, or you can go directly to etsy.com slash shop slash Derek Izzy Show swag. We've got shirts, underwear, Socks, mouse pads, bumper stickers, all available with the show's trademarked logo and directly for you. Check it out. Derek Izzy Show swag. Collect them all before we run out of supplies. That is etsy.com slash shop slash Derek Izzy Show swag. A big thank you to all of the listeners who sent me messages with suggested items that you'd like to see the store carry. And now we are carrying all of those items. So it's time to purchase. And if anyone has any future additions you'd like to see added to the store, just shoot me a message. You can email me at Derek at DerekIzzy.com and let me know and we will work to get those items added to the swag store. And now the topic of today's podcast. As the audience knows, the most popular episode of all time with The Derek Izzy Show has been about the Bender family. So before you listen to this podcast, I'd recommend going back, listening to episode one, January 1st, 2014, entitled A New Kind of Family, then go back and listen to episode 49, released on January 1st, 2018, entitled The Benders Revisited. The combination of those two shows will give you the history of everything we have done about the Benders. And for those of you who have no idea who the Benders are, they were basically a family of serial killers in Kansas. There is a museum in Cherryvale, Kansas, with an exhibit catered to the Bender family. Recently, I went down to this museum for a private tour, with a museum curator, and today you are going to hear her account of the story of the Bender family. What makes this unique is that she's basically a Bender family expert, having known several people who have authored books on the Benders, and being the curator of that museum, her expertise is definitely local and firsthand. So let's hear what she has to say as she tells the story of the Bender family in her own words. 
In the fall of 1870, two men, the old man, John Bender, and uh, senior, and then a younger man, also John Bender, came to this area about five miles north of here and a couple miles to the east. Uh, and they each bought 160 acres of land conjoining with each other. And they built a one-room house. You see this picture of it, 16 by 20, so it wasn't very big. In that house, then they split the split it in half, uh, and they had their private residence in the back of that house. And then in the front of it, they they sold um, some types of groceries, tobacco, that type of thing. In the spring of 1871, then the two ladies came, Ma Bender and Kate Bender. And so they also then furnished meals to people that would stop because the people that were stopping along here were coming on what they called the Osage Trail. The Osage Trail started in Fort Scott, went through St. Paul, and then went on down to through Cherryville on over to Independence. And the people that were taking that trail, a lot of them were going on south into Oklahoma, Texas, maybe to buy cattle. When they came in to spend the night or to stop for a meal, they would set them down at this table and feel a meal. They would have them set so their back was to the canvas. So Kate, who was supposed to be very attractive and, and such, very, uh, she was a spiritualist, so she was um, easy to talk to, pretty to look at. She would keep them occupied and also she would talk to them to find out what, what they were doing. Were they local people? Because local people, maybe coming from St. Paul Independence, might stop for a meal. But if they were local, they didn't really want to mess with them because people would tend to come look for them. They also were trying to find out did they have money. So if they had money, um, they were well-dressed, they had a nice-looking horse, they had money, then that would be their signal. She would then signal to the whoever, whether it be John Sr. or Jr. behind the the wagon, the wagon curtain, and he would hit them over the head. Then he would uh, probably slit their throat at that time. And then there was a trap door right below the table here. They would drop them down through that trap door, uh, and then in the evening, or uh, they would go out there and take them out and bury them in their. And it's the books always say they're apple orchard, but I can you can look at the pictures and you can't see an apple tree to save your soul in any of this. She talks about the apple trees. I can see the old pictures of the Bender property. They're black and white photographs of the land surrounding the area. The people in the pictures have shovels, and there's areas that have been dug up by the locals who were investigating and searching for bodies. These are some pictures of the graves. And I always say the words, like because that's what I've read in many of the books, is that they buried them in their apple orchard, but I don't see a single tree back there. So that went on for from 1871 to uh, 1873. Um, and it probably, they, they found a couple bodies out on the prairie. One, during the wintertime, they found a body that, out on the prairie that had the same type of indention in the head. They found one in the, in the creek nearby. And so they didn't always probably bury them in their backyard. So in the fall, or fall or I think really more like December, of 1872, there was a, um, a man from over to Independence, his name was Lancor. He was taking his little girl back east 
to his parents because his wife had died and he couldn't care for her. So he took her back east. He, at the time he was leaving, he was good friends with a Dr. York over in Independence as well. And he either bought or borrowed a horse and buggy from Dr. York and started out on his trip. And he was supposed to let Dr. York know when he made it back east. Well, Dr. York never heard anything from him. So he kind of was looking and, and trying to figure out what might have happened to them. And I read that he got word from over at Oswego that somebody had found a horse and a buggy over there that resembled his. So he went to Oswego, uh, identified the horse and buggy as being the one that he had given to Mr. Loncor and such. So then he had parents that lived at Fort Scott. He went on to Fort Scott, spent the night there, and then he started home. Well, then he never made it home either. It took a while for his wife to realize that he something had happened to him and to really raise the alarm. But he also had a brother that was kind of in the legislature and uh, one that was in the military at Fort Scott. They, they had probably a little more power than just somebody local, and so they started searching. One of the stories was that they actually called a meeting at Harmony Grove School, which was a, a couple miles away from where the Bender House was, uh, to say, you know, we've had too many people disappearing, and we're going to start with a posse, we're going to go house to house, and, and start interviewing people. And um, they said that the Benders actually went to that meeting, so they knew, you know, that they, they were going to start that. Now, the stories I've heard is that the Benders, that the posse did stop once at the Benders' house, um, that um, they didn't search the house, but that Ma pretended to be sick and, and she was German, so she really didn't talk a lot of good English anyways. So they kind of left them alone and went on. But a few weeks later, a neighbor boy was coming by and he noticed that the animals at the vendor's house were tied up, they didn't have any feed and water and such, so he kind of raised the alarm. And so then the posse came back and they went in the house, and of course the house by then had been shut up for at least a couple weeks, they thought. And so the smell, because I, don't, I really don't know how in, in 1870s you could have cleaned up the blood and gore from these people anyways. So you know if it was closed up for a while, the smell had to have been not very good. So they opened up the trap door, realized, saw the blood. They actually picked the house up, moved it off its foundation, uh, because they thought that bodies were buried underneath the house. There was a big sandstone uh, ledge underneath that such, and they tried to pry it up, but they could tell that there weren't any bodies there. So um, it was coming on, supposedly coming on towards evening, and Dr. York's brother came out, uh, and he kind of looked around, and he saw a depression out in the backyard. And supposedly, while they lived there, they always kept it plowed up kept the ground rough, which would prevent people from seeing any kind of depressions if they kept it plowed up and tilled and stuff. Since they'd been gone for a couple of weeks, the ground had kind of settled, so they saw the depression. They went out there with a wagon, some kind of wagon pole, stuck it in there, and of course when they pulled it back up, they uh, discovered blood and gore on, the, on that. And so they dug, dug that grave up, and the first one, of course, was Dr. York that they found. And he, so his brothers identified him. They actually identified the, they found these hammers in the house, so they took the hammers out and supposedly measured 
the indention in the skull with one of the hammers. So they could say, yes, here was, a hammer. here was the hammers that had done it. So they took Dr. York's body away that night, took it back to Independence. And so they came back the next day and then proceeded to dig up the rest of the yard and discovered at least eight more bodies. Is that, that right? Again, there are more pictures of where holes containing human remains were dug into the dirt on the Bender's property. Each hole in the pictures looks like a grave site where a body was buried. Now she looks at the pictures and counts the holes for the body count. The pictures seem so surreal. One, two, three, there's seven there. So seven or eight more bodies that they found in the, in the backyard. On the wall, there's a display case containing two hammers that appear to be from the 1800s. You can tell that they've been used as they show wear and scuff marks. She explains where these came from. Now, the hammers were taken. There was a man, this man here, Leroy Dick. He was like a, a county trustee of sorts, and, and he was on the posse. He was a neighbor of the Benders, so he knew the Benders. So he took the hammers with him, thinking the sheriff would want those hammers, and the sheriff never collected them. So he kept them in his family. When he died, they went to his son, and then his son gave them to the museum. And, and you know, swore and testified and stuff that these were the original hammers that they had taken from the, the vendor house. Now, they sent a posse that went looking for them. They, they supposedly uh, tracked a wagon that had gone to um, Thayer, Kansas, which is about 10 miles, 15 miles north of Cherryville where they had found the wagon, they found the Bender's dog, and they left, um, they talked to the railroad people and they said yes, that they had caught a train there. And, and the two older people, they believe, went to St. Louis, went that way, the Ma and Pa, and the two younger people, they had thought they went south. They always thought that they went down into Indian Territory, Outlaw Territory, and Oklahoma, New Mexico, that, that area. So that's always the question, what happened to them? No one knows. And I think that's probably part of why they still are a popular topic because, you know, for years afterwards, they would be ladies that they would, when they died on their deathbed, they would say they were Kate Bender in California or Colorado or, or wherever. So nobody knew. Now, if you're local and from here, uh, like my, my husband's great-grandfather, he was a teamster, and he, he took the Osage Trail, so he would travel from St. Paul to Independence on a regular basis. Um, and he actually stopped at their house once and saw, sat down to eat a meal and saw feet and little blood, and he didn't like this, and he got up and left. And there's a lot of people that will tell those stories, but my husband's great-grandfather said... Just like she said, what actually happened to the Benders remains a mystery to this day and it is shrouded in fantasy, exaggeration, and rumors. But getting the story from a local might provide better information than the newspapers at the time could provide. Because even though it was the 1800s, newspapers tended to be very salacious. The goal wasn't always to report news, it was to increase circulation. He said that no one would ever have to worry about them, that they took care of them. And a lot, of, a lot of people's great-grandparents say the same thing, that they were on the posse and that they, they took care of them. But you, you have to ask, there's a $2,000 reward sign there. 
supposedly the benders had money that they had stolen from all these people that they would have taken with them. So wouldn't you have thought that somebody would have wanted the $2,000 reward or maybe not, you know, vigilante justice, you know, maybe they just said, nope, we're going to kill them and that's it. Or they got away. No one knows. So the land has sold uh, out there, it sold in 2020, I think. And to a man from and a man from Independence bought it, and he's he's very interested in the bender and the bender story, and so he has he contacted um, the Kansas colleges. He talked to Wichita State and K State and KU to see if they would be interested in doing some kind of archaeological dig out there, and in fact KU has said that they will do one, and so they uh, the the teachers have been down, uh, the professors have been down a couple couple times and then here in December, early December, one of the professors brought around about like five students so they could see the land and, and such. And I think in 20, this year, in 2023, they'll do some ground painting radar and, and some of that out there so that they can see if they can find depressions and such. And then in 20, if depending on if they have good results with that in 20, in this year, then in 2024 and 2025, they will bring their their kids out there during the summer for a couple of weeks and do some digs. Uh, the man has he's he's walked around on his ground because right now it's been in farm ground and it has been in farm ground and never no one has ever lived on this property except when the vendors were there. It's always been in farm ground uh, after that, and so he's walked the ground and he has found in a fairly concentrated area he's found a lot of pottery and metal and that type of thing. So he believes he's found the, the maybe the location of the house um, for them to get a start on it. So, so I don't know. <laughs> it's a story that just continues. And right she is. We will be looking forward to the future investigation of the site and hopefully KU or another college is able to make some discoveries of historical significance, and we can learn more about this mysterious family of serial killers, the Benders. And while we're waiting for KU to uncover more artifacts or more bodies, don't forget to check out the link on DerekIzzy.com to go to our swag store. Get your Derek Izzy Show merchandise while it lasts. Socks, shirts, mouse pads, Bumper stickers, I like the bumper sticker. It's actually really cool. You can get a coffee mug, flip-flops, stickers. Send us whatever items you would like to see us carry and we will add it to the store. Thanks in advance for your patronage because now you know the rest of the story. Good day.